So what a great opportunity to share with you this morning to, uh, to spend time uh, back in Hawaii and to have an opportunity to share the Word of God this morning. I want to start by telling you a story. When, uh, when I was about 12, my parents were missionaries in the Caribbean, and we lived in the Bahamas in the town of Nassau. And at the end of our street, we lived in a residential area that was right next to kind of where the downtown started. And at the end of our street, they were building a brand new building. It was going to be a furniture store. It was two stories, and uh, um, it was, they were in the middle of the construction site, and so it was all exposed beams and concrete everywhere and equipment and things. And, and I was about 12 years old, and my brothers and I decided one night that we would sneak into the construction zone, and, uh, and we brought cans of spray paint with us. So, you know, we were like, my little brother was 10, and I was 12, and, and we just, you know, started spray painting on the exposed beams and things. Now, nothing, nothing terrible, you know, just, uh, you know, some shapes and colors and stuff, but we put our names. Okay, we were, you know, we were kids, but we were not the smartest vandals in the world. So it didn't take long before the construction foreman realized it was the kids next door who did this. And who knew? It turns out that uh, graffiti is a vandalism. So knocking on our door one afternoon was the construction manager and two uh, policemen. So we, of course, were forced to uh, say our apologies to the uh, construction manager we paid for the repairs, but the worst part was we had to explain it to my parents. We had to tell my mom and dad, yes, that was us, I'm sorry, and my parents accepted the apology and uh, all was well. A similar thing happened to a character in the Bible named Onesimus. Onesimus, is, uh, his story is found in the book of Philemon, in the back of our Bibles, right in front of, uh, right in front of the, the book of Hebrews. And so this morning, I want to share with you a little bit about his story. So if you, uh, if, um, if, you want, if you want to grab your Bibles and turn to Philemon, it's in the back, and the easiest, it's only one page long. So the easiest way to find it is to look for Hebrews and go one page in front of it. If you get to Titus, that's too far. He, uh, Philemon's right in between. So let me, let me uh, catch you up to speed here. In the city of Colossae, which is currently, which was, was in Asia Minor, which is currently where Turkey is now, there was a town called Colossae, and in that town lived a man named Philemon. And Philemon had a slave, and his name was Onesimus. And this is his story. Onesimus started out, as, uh, as most slaves do, he started out in the community and found himself most likely under debt. He needed to pay off some money, and so he hired himself out as a slave, as an indentured servant, we would call it. And the idea was that he had to work until such time as he paid off his debt. But he was still a slave, and he could be bought and sold and owned until such time as his master set him free. So as you would imagine, it is not your favorite idea to be a slave. And in this uh, time and in, in, uh, in, in the time and the place of Asia Minor, 
It was certainly not an easy life. And Onesimus decided to take matters into his own hands one day. And when the masters weren't around, he stole them blind. He went around the house and found whatever he could and put it in a sack. And then he hightailed it out of town. And he went all the way to Rome. Now, Rome was, was 1,200 miles from Col- Colossae. A long way to go to hide. But he figured it was the best place. It was the capital of the Roman Empire, a big city where a thief could get lost in the crowd and no one would find him. And so that's what he did. He made his way to Colossae, to, uh, to Rome. Now, in the meantime, the Apostle Paul who, as you remember, was saved on the road to Damascus, and he had that vision of Jesus, and he he decided to to believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, and he spent his days traveling around Asia, uh, and and, uh, Asia Minor, in in these missionary journeys. And one of his journeys took him to the city of Colossae, where he met Philemon. And Philemon heard the word of God from Paul, and was converted and believed and became a believer. So much so that he became a friend of Paul's and then started his own church right there in his own home, telling people the good news of Jesus Christ, all the while not knowing what had happened to his former slave. Now come back to Rome with me. There's Onesimus, this former slave, hiding out in Rome. And we don't know what he did with the money. Perhaps he, uh, he doled it out to himself carefully and tried to set a new life for himself. Or maybe he just blew it all in one fabulous weekend in Rome. We don't know. But we do know that somehow while he was in Rome, he met Paul. The same Paul that his old master had met. Now, it wasn't easy to meet Paul in Rome. Paul was under house arrest. And house arrest means exactly what it sounds. It means although he was, he was in chains, he wasn't in a prison. He was in his own home. And uh, the way they kept track of him was he was chained to two, to two Roman soldiers day and night. So he couldn't go anywhere. So people would have to come to him. And somehow, this former slave, Onesimus, made an acquaintance with the Apostle Paul, who is in house arrest awaiting his execution. So we don't know how that happened, but somehow they met and connected. And just like Philemon had in Colossae, here in Rome, Onesimus accepted the word of Paul, believed in Jesus Christ as his Savior, and became a Christian. And not only that, as people tended to do in Paul's company, he also became Paul's friend and helper. Paul was chained between these two soldiers 24 hours a day, and so Onesimus became his messenger, his errand boy, his helper, and he would go and bring people to Paul to meet, and so that Paul could introduce them to Jesus, and he would bring him perhaps his food and his clothing and stuff and set things up for him. He became a real helper. And then one day, Onesimus realized he had to come clean. He had to tell Paul, who had become his spiritual father, he had to tell him the whole truth. So I want you to picture with me how this conversation might have have gone. Here's Onesimus, comes in the room and says, Paul, we need to talk. 
And Paul looks at the chains and says, I'm not going anywhere. We can talk. And Onesimus says, okay, we really need to talk, though. I need to tell you something. I'm actually from Colossae. And Paul says, Colossae? I've been there. I know Colossae. It's a great little city, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, I'm a slave, and I was owned by this guy named Philemon. Oh, you know Philemon. Oh, he's a great friend of mine. He started a church that, uh, when I was there in, in Colossae. Wait, did you say slave? Wait, are you a slave? Back up a second, dude. Yeah. And it's even worse, Paul. I robbed my former owners. I stole them blind, and I fled here to Rome to avoid the law. Well, that couldn't have gone down well, could it? So Paul must have had a conversation with him and told him, you need to make this right. You've got to go home. You've got to uh, go to Philemon and ask for forgiveness. Now that all sounds well and good for us. But think of what it meant for Onesimus. He was a runaway slave. And not just that, he was a thief. And you know what they did in those days to to runaway slaves or to thieves? Remember the man hanging next to Jesus on the cross? Yeah, that was the fate that was awaiting him if he went home. And Paul said, now wait a minute. I'll write a letter on your behalf to Philemon and I'll explain everything and it'll be okay and it is an estimation of uh, Onesimus' trust in the Apostle Paul that he said yes and so Paul wrote a letter and it is that exact same letter that 2,000 years later we have here in our Bibles And so Onesimus, with undoubtedly fear and trepidation, and literally holding his life in his hands, traveled back to Colossae to meet with uh, Philemon, his former owner. And can you imagine how that, uh, that meeting must have been? Now Philemon, we believe, was a fairly, uh, fairly wealthy landowner. The fact that he owned a slave, at least one, would indicate that. And the fact that he had a house that was big enough to have a church in it also probably tells us that he was probably well, uh, he was well off at least a little bit. He had, had some money. And so he probably didn't live right in the center of town, but probably on the edge of town, maybe on a hill looking out over the village where he would have had uh, vineyards on one side and perhaps a pasture over here with sheep on that side. And being a wealthy person, he probably could afford a two-story home. And in those days, and in, uh, in Judea, in the, in the Middle East, they don't have lanais like we have here. But they did have rooftop terraces where you would sit in the cool of the evening and enjoy the breezes and catch up on your day. And so you can just picture him out, out there on the rooftop terrace, maybe enjoying a cool beverage His wife is downstairs finishing the dishes. And he looks off in the distance and he sees a figure walking up the lane. And it's familiar. And he looks. Well, that looks like Onesimus. No, it couldn't be Onesimus. 
He wouldn't dare come back here after what he stole from us. And he looks, it is. Onesimus, is that you? Why, you've got a lot of nerve coming here. I ought to throw the, wait, wait, Paul, sorry, sir, sir. Um, just wait a minute before you call the authorities. I've, I've got a letter. I need you to read it. And so Philemon holds off on his anger and takes the, the letter and unscrolls it and starts to read. He begins, Paul. Oh, Onesimus, you met Paul? Oh, he's a great friend of mine. Yeah, I know him. We, yeah, we, we, we got together here in, in Colossae. Paul, it says, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul, in prison again? See, Paul had a knack of being in trouble for his faith in Jesus Christ. He was always getting thrown into prison and getting flogged and beaten and such. And this is just another time. And so you can see Philemon, um, you can see Philemon just thinking, oh, Paul in prison again. Oh, goodness gracious. To Philemon, our dear brother and fellow worker. To Aphia, our sister. That must have been his wife. Aphia. And so, so Philemon says, hey, Aphia, come upstairs. We got a letter from Paul, and you will not believe who's, who brought it to us. So Aphia, you know, comes up. Maybe she's drying her hands and such, and she comes up, and she sees Onesimus. And right away, she's looking around to see what, what, what's missing. It's all right, dear. We got a letter. Let's read it. And so he continues to read. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a nice beginning, Paul. Thanks. And then he shares, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Wow, that's buttering up, isn't it? <laughs> Sounds like Paul wants something. Can you see, can you see Philemon? Wow, dear, that was, that's beautiful. Yes, he's a great writer. Mm-hmm. But let's read. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Yeah, he wants something. Mm -hmm. when, you, when you write a letter like that, yeah, there's something coming up, right? And then Paul shares with him the story of this former slave Onesimus. And shares with him how he came to Rome and how he found Paul and how he believed in Jesus Christ. And that now he was his friend and his brother and his helper. And that although he used to be useless to you, actually he was more than worthless to you. He stole from you. He's now my friend and my helper. And then Paul makes his plea, beginning then in verse number 10. He says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus called him his son, this slave, this thief. But he says, he's my son, and I appeal to him for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. And then verse 15, he says, perhaps the reason that he was separated from you for a while was so that you might have him back for good. No longer a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. Now that's quite a jump. And Philemon and his wife are sitting here thinking, 
Paul, you're asking an awful lot. It's one thing to forgive his debt to us. It's another thing not to haul him off to prison for being an escaped slave. But you, Paul, expect us to do this? You expect us to have him back no longer as a slave, to free him, but to accept him back as a brother? And then Paul goes in for the kill in verse 17. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Now, how do you suppose they would welcome Paul, the man who introduced them to Jesus Christ, who brought them into the saving grace and knowledge of Jesus and our Lord and Savior? He is their hero. He is their uh, guide, their spiritual father. And they expect him to invite this slave, this thief, back in that same way? But Paul continues... If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, there's an understatement. He ripped him off blind. But if he does, charge it to me and I will pay it back. That is Paul's love for Onesimus, his spiritual son. And that is what he's asking of his friend. Onesimus is guilty. He's guilty of sin. He's caught dead to rights. He deserves punishment as a thief and as a runaway slave. But Paul is saying, don't charge that to him. Charge it to me. I'll take care of it. There's a story about Tsar Nicholas I, who was the, uh, the emperor, the king, as you were, the Tsar of Russia in the 1870s. And the story is told that he used to go around to the, the various encampments, the various settlements where his army was stationed around the outskirts of Russia. And he would go and visit the, uh, the soldiers in the encampments. And one time he was going all the way out to Siberia to meet with the, uh, with the settlement out there. But the supply sergeant there, well, he was a bit of a gambler. And he was a swindler. And he had been using official, official funds from the storage, from the supply room, to settle his own gambling debts. And when he heard that the king, that the Tsar, was coming to inspect the garrison, he very quickly realized that he had to get his house in order. That he had to get his, uh, his, his numbers, his ledgers, up to speed. And so he pulled out the book and started doing the figures to find out how much he owed and he, and he totally put that down, and he totaled what it was, and he put it down in the book. And then he pulled out from another drawer, perhaps, his bag of money, his gold, and counted it out. It's not nearly enough. How can I pay that back? And he realized there was no way, when the king came that next morning, that he was going to be able to explain or to pay the debt that he owed. And so he decided in his desperation to take his own life. So he pulled out a gun, his gun, and set it on the desk. And he went out in the other drawer, and uh, the story is told that he pulled out the bottle of vodka, put that on the desk as well. 
and determined that at midnight, I'm going to kill myself. And he looked down in that, in that ledger, and in his despondency, he wrote, What a debt. Who can possibly pay? And he had a drink. Perhaps he had two. And eventually, he fell asleep, not having pulled the trigger. Well, meanwhile, Tsar Nicholas was in the castle just above the, uh, the, the, the garrison, and he looked down and saw the light was still on in the supply officer's office. So he decided he would go down and pay him a visit. And he went down and opened the office door, and he found the scene that we've just described. The officer passed out on his desk with a revolver and a bottle of vodka and with a bag of money and with a ledger with the figures on it. Figures that didn't match. And then he read the handwriting scrawled there. Such a debt. Who can possibly pay it? And so Tsar Nicholas took his own pen and wrote his name. Tsar Nicholas I. And took his signet ring with the wax from the candle and, a field, uh, and affixed his seal to it, guaranteeing his payment. And so in the morning, when the uh, supply officer woke up, not having committed suicide, and saw that note, he realized that his debt had been forgiven and that what he owed had been paid for him by the one person who could do it all for him. Onesimus had the exact same offer given to him. Paul had offered to pay everything that he owed to give him his freedom. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us the rest of the story. We only get Paul's letter to Philemon. We, didn't get, we don't get Philemon's letter back. We have no idea what happened to this slave, Onesimus. But if Paul's character is anything to uh, tell us, and Philemon's um, character is also evident, we can surmise that Philemon forgave him. And he became a dear brother in the church. We don't know. But we do know that God has the exact same offer for all of us. That just as uh, Onesimus owed everything to Philemon, so we too owe everything to God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we're told. We all owe a great debt to our God. But God has already paid the price. We've already been forgiven. You know the verses as well as I do. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus said, "For where I go, I go and I prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be also." Our heavenly home is ready and waiting for us. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, 
1 John 3, it says, How great is the love that the Father has lavished upon us that we can be called children of God. That we can be called children of God. The great God of the universe, the master of time and space and all dimensions, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God, the sovereign Lord of all, loves us and calls us his children. That's the love of God. And I love the descriptiveness of that verse. How great is the love of the Father that he has lavished upon us. And I don't know what, you, uh, what picture you have in your mind when you use the word lavish. But I picture a bowl of ice cream. I picture now, in my mind, the ice cream is Ghiadelli's dark double chocolate fudge. And when I picture God's love lavished upon me, I picture Hershey's special dark chocolate sauce in this hand. And I picture myself pouring it. Now, not just squirting a little bunch on it. I'm talking about deluging it, dousing it. I'm talking about covering it. So there's just a little island of ice cream in a sea of uh, chocolate syrup. When the chocolate syrup rises to the edge of the bowl and starts drizzling over, my cup runneth over with chocolate sauce. That's God's love lavished upon us. The love the Father that he lavishes upon us that we can be called his children. Our debt has been paid. We simply need to walk home. We simply need to come before our Heavenly Father to accept His fatherhood, to come home. You remember the story that Jesus told of the, of the, uh, the prodigal son. The prodigal son who took his dad's money and spoiled in a wild weekend of, uh, of fun and debauchery. And then he realized his mistake and came home to his dad. And his dad wanted nothing to do with revenge or consequences. He simply wanted to wrap his arms around his son Say, welcome home, my boy. That's God. He doesn't care what we've done or where we've been. He just wants us home. And so that's God's invitation to us this morning. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And we're going to sing a song in a couple of moments. And as we do, I want us to consider our own journey home. Whether it's like the prodigal son coming home from a of long weekend, or Onesimus, who owed everything to Paul. Whether it's like me and my brothers who just had to come clean to mom and dad. All of them, all of us, are welcomed into God's home if we simply take the step and walk toward him. The places of prayer are here this morning. And if God is speaking to you, if you've got something you need to say to God, if you're ready to come home, well, come here and allow God to wrap you in his arms and welcome you. Let's pray together. Let's listen to God. And let's sing. Heavenly Father, that is indeed our prayer this morning. We need you, God. And we thank you because you are here. You are here in this room with us. You are here when we leave this place. You are here with us wherever we go. 
God, we thank you because you call us your children and we can call you Father. God, I thank you because you welcome us home. So God, as we depart from this room this morning, may it be as a family, as Ohana, together, not just with the people around us, but with you, our Heavenly Father. Bless us and go with us, we pray. In your great name, amen. Thank you.